we are divided. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the bright day of justice emerges. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred which has engulfed the Negro community. Must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. As long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. No, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. This situation can and will be changed. We face the difficulties of today and tomorrow. I still have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. I have a dream today. The civil rights movement took place 50 years ago. And yet, in the, just this past year, trending conversations include things like Black Lives Matter, police brutality, mass incarceration, white supremacists, and the racial wealth gap. Tensions remain high in our culture, even though we're talking about racism. And yet, although we talk about it and the conversation is high, it really doesn't seem to be helping, only revealing more frustration, confusion, and pain. You see, this morning we're going to be talking about the fracture of racism, the fracture of racism. If you haven't been with us over the last couple weeks, we started a series called Fractured. And in this series, what we're, what we're doing is having conversations about the divisions that are in our country, our culture, our relationships, and ultimately the church. 
And we started this series by, by looking at the greatest divide, which isn't really out there. It's actually right here in my heart and in your hearts. It's this divide between the spirit of God and the image of God working inside of me and waging war against the sinful nature, the part of me that wants to be rebellious towards God. And we made this bold statement that I really believe in is we will never solve any of the divide out there and the tensions out there until we figure out the divide right here. And then last week, we, we started with the first symptom or the first fracture of this divide, which is sexism. Although God created male and female differently, men and women are different. It's obvious. We see it every single day. And those differences were meant to be a unique and beautiful thing, but they become a divisive thing. And we landed with this truth that, yes, men and women, male and female are different. But yet we, when we stand before a holy God, we are equal. And this morning we are going to jump into maybe one of the most controversial topics in our culture today. A topic that's not easy to navigate, the topic of racism. And I, I know that word comes with a lot of different definitions. When we hear that word, many people think different things. And so I want to define it for us. Racism is discrimination or prejudice based on ethnicity from an individual institution or system. It's when decisions are made or thoughts are made that are discriminatory or prejudiced based on somebody's ethnicity. And it can come from an individual, an institution, or a system that is created. In fact, the book White Fragility adds this. It says, racism occurs when a racial group prejudice is backed by legal authority and institutional control. Another author says, racism is human alienation. And man, I'm not naive enough to think that this is going to be a difficult conversation for many of us. And I remember a year ago when we were in our planning team, with our planning team, and this topic was brought up, this series was brought up, and immediately in my heart, there was a little bit of fear based off of this topic, because I recognize based off of my words, there are landmines sitting everywhere and it's really easy to step on them. And I just wanna start this morning by expressing to you some of the fears that I have when we, as we jump into this conversation. The first fear that I have is that I might offend somebody of a different race than myself. And I just want you to know that I don't pretend to be an expert on this topic. And I don't pretend to begin to understand or fathom the pain that is there right now and the pain that you've been dealing with for many years. And I just want you to know that my motives are simply that maybe God would use this church and this conversation to begin to unite us together, to, to erase some of the division that is there. I think my second fear is that people of my race might feel like I'm getting on to them. <laughs> And maybe they might feel that way because they're not willing to admit some of the stain rests on their shoulders. And they might, for, many, for far too long, we maybe have been ignoring a problem that is obvious in our culture. And then third, I, I think maybe this is my greatest fear, is that I, I stand before you as a flawed man, a sinful man. A man who doesn't have a perfect record on any of these topics. And so maybe I start by just saying, man, I, I, I'm seeking forgiveness in the areas that I've thought poorly or haven't seen the full picture. And for those, I am very sorry. And, and maybe the first question that we might ask is, why are we even talking about this? 
You know, we're, we're, we're in the context of a church, the gathering of God's people, and many people might say, shouldn't we just kind of like stick to the gospel and stick to Jesus? Shouldn't the church kind of stay away from some of these controversial, intense conversations? And I, I kind of love how one author framed it. They, they said this, I'm not a racist, you're not a racist, and yet racial conflict remains whether or not we want to acknowledge it. And isn't that the reality of our culture today? No one claims the label of racist. I mean, no one is going to say, yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, I'm proud. I'm a racist. No, none of us would do that. But yet, why does racism still exist then? If no one's a racist, why is racism even a topic on this conversation and in our country, in our community, in, in the church? Maybe because we haven't been willing to acknowledge that maybe there is a little bit of racism in me and in you. And so when it comes to the gospel, why is this church, why is Northridge talk, Church talking about this conversation? Because we believe in the gospel. And at the gospel, there's implications of that, and equality is a major one of those. You see, equality is at the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't matter who you are, what color your skin is, what your ethnicity or your background is, every single one of us approaches the gospel the exact same way as sinners in need of a savior. And Jesus in his word declares that we are all equal. In fact, Galatians, a theme verse for this series, chapter three, it says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so the Bible makes, us, makes it so clear that no matter you're male or female, rich or poor, black or white, Asian, what your ethnicity is, we're all the same. We're all equal in God's eyes. And so here's what we've done is when it comes to the topic of racism, we've taken Galatians chapter three and we found an easy and simple solution to racism and we've jumped on it. So if we're all in, if we're all one in Christ Jesus, I'll just live with this colorblind mindset where I just love people the same way. I don't see color. I just love everybody the exact same way. And I think although in this colorblind mindset, there's good intentions and pure motives, I think when we live in that mindset, we miss out on some of the uniquenesses that God created us in. I think we miss out on some of the attributes that God gave us intentionally for his glory in his creation. In fact, the apostle Paul speaks to this colorblind mindset in Romans chapter nine. He says this, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And so here Paul says, he says, don't deny the race, the color, the ethnicity, the background that God gave you because he gave it to you with a purpose. He gave it to you in his perfect creation. And so don't deny the differences that God has given each and every one of us. You know, step into those, revel in those, but know in your differences that God sees us all as equals. And so I think there's one question that in our culture today, especially the church, Christians, has forgotten to ask a simple but profound question. Is when it comes to controversial topics like racism, like sexism, I think we've lost the value of this question. What does the Bible say? 
You see, what we've done in our culture is we've allowed the, the, the media to shape the way we think. We've allowed the news or social media to infiltrate our minds, the debates there, to infiltrate our minds and to define the way we should think about certain topics. And for today, I think Christians need to get back when it comes to really tense and hard conversations. We need to get back to, hey, what does Jesus and what does God have to say about this? And here's what I, th I think would be really amazing that we would find is the Bible is actually, yeah, although it's a, a, a old document passed down through generation after generation, it is actually really relevant to our culture today. We, we, we might find that if we actually spend time investigating it and reading it and spending time. And, and did you know that racism is a pretty lofty topic in the Bible? It's talked about on, on a pretty decent amount of times. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he's one of the early church leaders, guy who wrote majority of the New Testament. And when he was leading the church, he had to deal with racism. He had to deal with this major fracture in his time and him leading the church. It was this fracture or this division between Jews and Gentiles. You see, the Jewish people were God's chosen people and they followed the law. But when Jesus came and he died and he rose again, he offered salvation to everyone. And so what happened is there was this division it created. All the Jews were looking at the Gentiles, which is just a non-Jewish person. And they were saying to the Gentiles, hey, if you want God to love you, you need to act like a Jew, behave like a Jew, follow the law like a Jew, essentially look like a Jew, and then God will love you. And Paul had to navigate this tension. In fact, in the church, believe it or not, in the church, it got so bad in Acts chapter 6 that widows of Gentile ethnicity and, and race were not receiving aid from the church because they weren't Jewish. That's how bad it was. And Paul had to lead the church through this. And he says this in Romans chapter 10. He says this, he says, for there is no difference between Jew and and Gentile. I mean, that, that seems so simple as we read it today, but do you know how profound of a statement that was in this culture? I mean, that was huge. He says, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Colossians 3, he says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And we read these verses in a, in a modern context and we say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. But these were radical, crazy statements by Paul in a tense and tumultuous situation. And ultimately, here's what Paul was saying. He was moving the church back to this truth is that our primary identity is found in our relationship with Jesus. At the end of the day, who we are, our identity, the primary one that we carry, has nothing to do with what color skin we have or, or the ethnicity or the background we have. Our identity as Christians is rooted in what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and gave us a relationship with him. And Paul was bringing the church back to this reality. And I think even thousands of years later, maybe we need to shift back to this truth. But what's interesting is as Paul began to teach the church that there's no difference between Jewish and, and, and Gentile people, you wanna know who struggled with it the most? Maybe one of the, the, per, the persons who struggled with it the most was a disciple of Jesus Christ. A guy who followed Jesus, his name was Peter. Peter, at some level, was a racist. 
because he didn't believe it. He couldn't get there. He was like, no, this is wrong. You have to follow the law like a good Jewish person, a Gentile. There, no, there's a difference there, and he couldn't get there. A disciple of Jesus Christ, and it just kind of just shows us that, man, just because we go to church, just because we, 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 we sing the songs that we sing at church doesn't mean that there might not be racial tendencies in us. Because here was a disciple of Jesus Christ struggling with racism. In fact, it got so bad in Peter's mind that God had to give him a vision and put him in a trance to change his mind. And when he came out of that trance and he saw life from a new perspective, here's what Peter says, Acts chapter 10. It says this, then Peter began to speak. I now realize, let's pause here for a second. Because I think maybe some of us, vast majority of us maybe need that moment in our life where we begin to realize and see life from a different perspective, where we stop ignoring maybe the injustices that have been happening. Maybe we need to realize what's actually going on in the hurt and the pain that people are dealing with on a regular basis. Maybe in the minor, majority culture, you've had the ability to ignore it, but now's the time where maybe we start realizing it. Peter had this moment with God and he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And so Peter has this huge shift. God gives him the shift and he says, hey, I want you to understand, I see people as equals, Peter. I see people as sons and daughters. And, and ultimately, here's where Peter lands. He says, I, I get it. God doesn't define you or me by my race or by my ethnicity or by my color. Like God doesn't define people that way. But God sees people as equals, as sons and daughters through their relationship to the one who fears him and does what is right. In fact, the Old Testament even aligns with this. Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says this, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. And so we get a view of God and the way he looks at us is that our primary identity has nothing to do with what we look like or how much we have or whether we're male or female. But it has everything to do with our relationship with his son, Jesus. And in a book I think that would be really beneficial for a majority of us to read, our staff is actually reading through this book right now. It's the book One Blood. And I would encourage you, if you want to dig a little bit deeper into this topic, grab the book One Blood on Amazon. It's written by Dr. John uh, Perkins, A Great Start. And here's one of the quotes. You're going you're to hear a lot of quotes from the book from many different authors. It says this, there is only one human race. From every perspective, biological, historical, and in God's word, the Bible, for the, fa for the past 500 years, Western society has been playing out a role in the drama written by the enemy of our souls, the myth of the master race, and every act has been a tragedy. And I love this line, it's time to change the script. It's time the church stood up and spoke up and started to change the script of racism. And I think we, we begin to do that by understanding the implications of when I live in a prejudiced way, when I live in a discriminatory way, here's what happens is racism seeks to rebuild what the gospel in Jesus destroyed. Racism, when I live with prejudices in my heart and when I live with tendencies that are, are, are racist, what, what it ultimately, de ultimately declares is that I don't fully understand the gospel that Jesus came to give to all people. 
Because the gospel gives equality and racism strips people of the equality that God declares over every single one. Look what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles. Again, there was that fracture, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Ephesians chapter 2, 14, it says, for he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And here in Ephesians, it talks about reconciliation. It talks about Jesus reconciling our relationship with him because of our sins. We were separated from God, but Jesus made our relationship with God right. Therefore, we ought to make our relationship with others right. And you think of what Jesus came through the gospel to give us is a hope, a hope of the eternity with him in heaven. And what's so crazy is, is, is the implications of living in a, in a, with racial prejudices is we really don't like the thing we're longing for. You see, the truth is, is if you are a racist, you won't like heaven. You won't like it. And now let's break this. Let's, let's just sit here for a second and let's marinate on this point. Because that label racist, no one would ever take on that label. And, and what we've done in our culture today is we've reserved that label for certain groups. We've reserved that label for the KKK. We've reserved that label for white supremacists. We've reserved that label for the alt-right, and rightfully so. But I think we need to lean in a little bit. Because I think the vast majority of us live with racial tendencies. Let me explain to you what I mean. Let me put it into practical form for you. You see, I think many of us, we have racial tendencies. Let's think about this, the way you, you talk, the way you communicate. You see, many of you, you know, there's things in our culture today that aren't acceptable to say that were acceptable, acceptable about 50 years ago, 20 years ago. And maybe the way you talk is, you know, hey, I, I will only say those things with a select group of people. It's a racial tendency. Or maybe you don't say them at all. You just allow them to enter your head. Maybe today it's, it's where you choose to live. You know, you, you, you know in your, your pursuit of a house, you know exactly where you don't want to live because of the people who live there and the things that go on there. And what we fail to realize is probably for a majority of those areas, it was a system that created that issue. A system that people couldn't break free from. Maybe it's when you watch the news and you see a news story and you watch a minority person being arrested and you just automatically assume that they're guilty based off of what they look like. Maybe it's the conversations that you pursue or don't pursue, the relationships that you build. You just stay away from certain people because you know it might be a little bit controversial. Hard conversations. And I think for many of us, we live with these racial tendencies that honestly we can't even see because we've, we're so used to them and we're so blind to them that they just feel normal in a society where they shouldn't be normal. And when it comes to the thing we're longing for, I think we actually, when it comes to heaven, the thing that we hope for and can't wait to get, I think actually there's a small little bit of racial tendency in us. Because when we, when we, we think about heaven and we long for the very thing that God came to give us, eternity with him in heaven, we automatically long for the streets of gold. We long for like no pain and no sin and no suffering. But I have, honestly, I've never heard anybody say, you know why I long for heaven? is because of the diversity that will be there. 
I long for heaven because I want to see people from all different nations and tribes and languages and colors and backgrounds all coming together unified and and standing before God Almighty in unity. You see, we long for the streets of gold, but maybe the best thing about heaven is that God will take all of our divisions and he will wipe them out and he will say we were unified at the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, Revelation chapter 7, it says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What a beautiful picture of heaven. Where there's no, more, no longer the, our differences divide us, but God breaks all those walls down and he shatters all those fractures. He heals all the wounds and we stand together united. I don't know about you, but I long for that day. I hope for that day. And so the only conclusion that we can come to on the topic of racism is simply this. God declares racism as sin. There's no getting around it. If you read God's word, this is the truth of the holy word of God, that it is disobedience. It goes against everything God believes in and cares for when we treat people in a racist way. James sums it up. James chapter two, he says this, but if you show favoritism, he kind of lumps it all in, favoritism towards a male or female, favoritism towards a person of a different ethnicity. He says, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And so if we actually believe this, I mean, if you are a Christ follower today and you believe it's, it's a sin to live with prejudice, it's a sin to, to live in a discriminatory way, really the question that we should be asking is how can we make a difference? Because majority of us today, honestly, it, it, the truth is, is this whole conversation annoys us. It bothers us. Like, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Like, I'm tired of having this conversation and we can't live with that mentality Because maybe for a vast majority of us in the majority culture, we can kind of ignore the problem, but there are people every day who have to deal with the problem. And as Christ followers, if we believe it's wrong, we should stand up and we should rise up and say, how can we together make a difference? And so I want to talk about that for the next couple minutes, how, how we together can make a difference. And I think it starts right here as we seek reconciliation. We seek Reconciliation. Reconciliation just simply means to make things right again. What reconciliation means is we fight to mend the wounds and the pain that is there, not just there now, but in the past. It's us coming together and say, we will will stand up and we will fight after and we will seek to make things right again. And Paul speaks directly to this. He says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And man, let's just lean into this verse a little bit. Because what Paul is saying in Corinthians is he's saying, because of Jesus reconciling me and you to God, because of his work on the cross and him offering the gospel to all of us, he reconciled our relationship with God. And because of that truth, he's given us two things, the message of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. And what that means is first, our job is to make disciples. It's, it's to passionately love people to reconcile their relationship with God. But then secondly, we're supposed to reconcile our relationships with others. 
And what Paul is saying is, hey, what this means for the church today, for Christians today, is we can't sit on our hands anymore and then just pretend like this doesn't exist. He wipes out your excuses for not tackling and not rising up on this topic. He says, you were given the message and the ministry of reconciliation. You are Christ's ambassadors. Making, he's making his appeal through you. So we can't sit on the sidelines anymore. That's what Paul's saying. You can't sit on the sidelines in the comfortability of your own life. You have to love others and reconcile others to God in your relationship with others. So that sounds good, right? Seek reconciliation. I love it, but how do we get there? Okay, I'm in, Drew. Like, I want to seek reconciliation. How do I go about doing that? And this is where it might get a little bit controversial. So it might be where it gets a little bit hard. Some of you are like, wait, I thought it was already controversial. <laughs> but maybe the first step in, in seeking reconciliation is to, for me and you to understand our privilege, to understand your privilege and my privilege. And I know that word privilege comes with a, a lot of baggage, a lot of really difficult conversations. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you are today, we've all been given privileges. And I've been reading a lot about this term and studying a lot about it and I started making a list of the privileges that I've experienced in life, and some of these have nothing to do with, with my race. But I think of the first privilege that I wrote down is that I have a mom and dad who are still together and who still play an active role in my life. And man, I know many of us we, who have that, we, we don't even view that as a privilege. We take it for granted, but I know people who, who didn't have that privilege. I think of the home I live in, the bed I sleep in. Something that, man, I often don't even think about. I overlook, but man, that's a privilege. I've talked to men and women who don't have that today. What a privilege. And this is where it might get a little bit, you might disagree with this, but I do believe that the color of my skin, being a white male, has given me privilege. It's given me a privilege and access to opportunities that maybe minorities haven't haven't have. And maybe you don't agree with that, but I can tell you one privilege that if you're a white person here today, it's given you the privilege or the ability to just ignore the conversation altogether. But for minorities, they don't get an opportunity to ignore the race, racism conversation because they walk in it and they live in it on a regular basis. And so the, the whole point of talking about privilege and understanding our privilege to seek reconciliation has nothing to do with make, making you feel bad about the privileges God has given you. But the goal is for you to understand the privileges that you have and to fight so others can experience those privileges. To fight for dignity for other people. To fight to allow people to experience the privileges that maybe you've taken for granted. And now you might ask the question, why would I do that? Why, why would I go about that? Well, it's exactly what Jesus did. You think about privilege, talk about Jesus. He was God Almighty. He lived in heaven where everything was awesome. He had all power and capacity to himself. And guess what he did? He left his privilege in heaven. He came to earth to die so others could have privilege. But here's why we don't want to do that. It's because privilege comes with power. And many of us aren't willing to let go of our power so somebody else can have some. In fact, the book One Blood speaks to this. It says, discussions about power are usually avoided by those who have it. Why? They don't want to discuss the dynamic, lest doing so leads to a power shift. 
And maybe the first way we seek reconciliation is we just look at our life and we say, hey, God, thank you for the privileges and may I fight like you did to give privileges to others, to, to fight so people can have dignity. I think secondly, we, we learn to confront oppression. We learn to confront the oppressor. And I know when I first wrote this down, I thought in my head, you know, okay, I'm just going to lean in and in, in, in where I'm at in life, and I'm going to listen for the, the person who treats somebody wrongly, the person who has prejudices and racial tendencies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen, and I'm going to confront them, and I'm going to call them out. And, and I think that's a great step. I think that's awesome, but I think we're starting in the wrong place. Because maybe the first oppressor that you need to confront isn't out there. Maybe it, it's right here. See, maybe today you need to, to look at yourself and say, what are things in me that I can't even see where I'm living out racial tendencies, where I'm saying things that are no longer acceptable, where I'm acting in a way that is just maybe ignorant to the issue. Maybe I'm actually causing the divide to split wide open rather than bringing it back together. And I think all of us need to look inside first and confront the racism that's in me that I can't even see. God, help me to see it. Because I think we need an awareness. And, and I, I think the reason why I can talk about this is because for a vast majority of my life, I was just honestly ignorant to the whole conversation. As, as a white male, I had that opportunity just to kind of be ignorant to it. But over the last five years, God has been shaping my perspective and giving me a different glance. And just over the last seven months, he's done that again. Because my wife and I, many of you know this story. We went to China and we brought home into our family a son who is from a different ethnicity. We have the same skin color, but you can obviously tell that he is not our biological child. And you would be amazed at Costco driving with our cart, him sitting in the little buggy and people just staring. This might sound exaggerated, but it's happened. People who ask us, why would you go so far away to have a child who's so different than you? Why would you want him? That's the culture we live in. And for too long, I myself have lived in this safe, comfy zone, being ignorant to what people deal with on a regular basis. And maybe I need to confront it in me first. But as a white male, I, I, I still don't even begin to understand the full gamut. I don't even pretend to begin to, to understand the pain that people have walked through and dealt with and are still fighting through today. And so I thought it'd be wise to maybe bring out a different perspective, a perspective that's different than mine. And so I want to invite Alvante and Dominique to our stage um, you might know Alvante, he's our Aronicoit worship director and his wife, Dominique, who is currently studying to be a doctor. And so can we welcome us to the stage at all of our campuses? Hey guys, well, well thanks for being here with me this morning. And I, I know this is an easy topic to talk about. It's very tense. Um, there's a lot of controversial issues. And so thanks for being here. Uh, a huge, brave step by you. And so I have two questions for you. We're, we're, we're talking about seeking reconciliation. And man, we should be passionate about that. And so I want to ask you from two different perspectives. First, the minority perspective is how do minorities go about seeking passionately reconciliation? Uh, well, first, totally, Drew, thank you for allowing us to talk on this. A very important um, thing, and I would say first starting off, here is clear when we say that we are not the voice for all minorities. And so today we're simply going to be speaking from our own life experiences and um, 
the way that we've had to navigate through these tough things. And I mean, it's been different even for us. I'm from the inner city of Detroit, Michigan, whereas my wife is from a nice small suburb north of Baltimore, <laughs> Maryland. And so even for us, the context has been uh, quite different, but um, we've learned to navigate it all the same. And I would say so let's kind of walk into this conversation understanding that your current um, living context is going to determine how yeah. uh, you approach these issues. Yeah, for sure. And because we are Christ followers, we are going to be speaking to things from a biblical perspective. I believe the biggest thing to understand here is that there are distinct differences in handling issues such as this one when it comes to the Christ follower and when it comes to the person who does not profess to follow Christ. And so to the minority who is not a Christ follower, I would say, have a willingness to be open about sharing your life experiences with non-minorities, but do it with the understanding that you may feel attacked at times because none of us have the power to change the hearts of others. All we can do is continue to share in the hopes that people are being impacted by the things that we share with them. Yeah, I totally agree with Dominique there. And uh, to the Christ follower who happens to be a minority, uh, there's a few things that I would say to you. But first, I would say continue the fight to fight the fight of racial reconciliation with the understanding that God can and God will unify both the hearts of the oppressed uh, and the oppressor. And I know in my own life as a Christ follower, what I, what I have found to be true is that as I have believed the promises of God, it's pushed me into a position where I've had to take on the heart of God, which in turn has forced me to fight for the things of God. And racial reconciliation is dear to God's heart. And so out of that place, uh, we fight. And we don't fight because we want to be equal to white people. Uh, but we fight with understanding that there's no such thing as second best. Yeah. You know, when God created white people, he didn't create them as in his image and the rest of us as sort of kind of in his image or other. Um, I'm even reminded all throughout scripture, you can even look at things like Psalm 139 where King David writes, you created my inmost being. You formed me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And it's out of the place of understanding things like that that I am able to step into a position to say, because of who my creator is, I'm equally important. I'm equally chosen and I'm equally God's. And then understanding from there that because I was created by the ultimate creator and he calls his creation good, as a Christ follower, I have a responsibility uh, to steward God's creation as good. And so that means you, that means me, and that means everyone around me because we were all created uh, in the image of God by God. Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. But we also have to remind ourselves that racism is a sin issue yeah. that stems directly from the heart. When asked which was the first of all the commandments, Jesus replied that the first is this, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you should love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from Mark 12, 28 through 31. And so racism goes against the commandment of love. And five ways that I have learned, which could be valuable for Christians who are minorities, is for us to work together with those who aren't minorities. And these ways can simply be by one, praying together, two, reaching out together, three, bringing what we know and have experienced through reaching out to pray and reflecting on those hard questions. Four, I would say learning together. And lastly, five, I'd say acting together by engaging with other faith communities that are committed to working towards change and racial justice. Because the reality is, sin blocks our view to the truth. But when we make a conscious effort to remain open in discussion about racial disparities and the causes of racial tension, instead of closing ourselves up, will we then be able to have more conversations with those who may seek to know more? And I think from the moment we say yes to following Jesus, we, uh, we join his family, right? 
and we are joining the family of someone who's royal. He's the king, and so we're joining the king's family. And so that means we now have royal responsibilities. And so as a Christ follower, we have a royal responsibility to both fight for and love the oppressed. Mm. But not only are we called to love and fight for the oppressed, we're also called to love the oppressor. Mm. And when I say love the oppressor, don't hear me saying, hey, guys, you know, sit in a circle, hold hands and sing kumbaya with the person who's, like, done you wrong. That's not love. That's, like, pure craziness. But, you know, I do have a responsibility to be fierce in truth. Yeah. And because I love you, I'm going to continuously call you to the carpet every single time mm. you say something out of line. Mm. Every single time you're supporting a policy that will continue to hold back uh, marginalized minority people groups. Mm. Every single time you allow for your prejudice or your racial bias to peek its head out, I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to do this gently. I'm going to do this graciously. I'm going to do this lovingly. But most times, I'm going to do this with great passion. So please don't interpret my passion as mm. anger. But also understand that I'm going to be doing these things with discernment. I'm going to be looking at them with an attentive eye and ear to the things that continuously grieve the heart of God. Mm. And the reality of all of this is that racism grieves the heart of God. Yeah. Yep. You know, and as, you know, a Christ follower who is modeling for the oppressor what it looks like to, you know, love I also have a responsibility to model for them what it looks like to care for and fight for the oppressed. Mm. And so that means I have to already be volunteering at my local YMCA. I have to already be supporting minority businesses. I have to already be fighting for better education in our urban city schools, all the while leveraging the blessings uh, that God has given me. And I think in all of this, the worst thing that I can do is to take a lot of time barking and talking a lot about all the things and all the changes that I want to see. All the while, I'm on the sidelines as everyone else is engaged mm. in the fight. Yeah. And finally, I would say that we need to combat those lies from the enemy, which masks itself in our society and in our laws with the truth that we are all equal and we're all important in the eyes yeah. of God. First, we need to understand that the Bible addresses racism and diversity many times. If you look in Genesis, all people are created in God's image. In 1 Corinthians, all are baptized by one spirit in order to form one body. And in Revelation, this heavenly picture is this great multitude where all tribes are being able to speak every single language before the throne. And so all throughout scripture, we find this parallel, as I said before, that we are all created in God's image, meaning that our identity is found in him and that we are all one in him. And so because of that, there is no race that is more superior than the other. Yeah. And due to that, we just have to believe and we have to trust that God has us and he will always continue to have us. And, and being able to understand that in 1 Peter 2, 9, it addresses um, where our identity is found. And it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And so one, we have to remember that heart change comes only from the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And two, there will be a time and a place where we all will be able to worship together at the feet of Jesus as described in Revelation in one spirit. Mm -hmm. That's awesome stuff. Okay, so we talked about how the minority uh, chases after reconciliation. What would you say to the majority culture that maybe even needs to seek after it a little bit harder than the mi minority culture? What would you say to them? Wow. Woo! It's <laughs> a loaded question. No, I'm joking. So to my dear, dear white friends, I would say two things. The first thing that I would say is uh, fight the temptation to give in to the media's narrative. And hear me, actually, just like lean in a minute, I'm gonna tell you a secret. Minorities 
are not groups of people. We're individuals, yeah. just like you. And I think the media has done an incredible crafty job with painting minorities as clumps of people mm. and they've painted white people as individuals. And the reality of this is, is that we have families, we have hopes, we have dreams, we have fears, we have all the things that make you an individual. We have those same things and, and we just want to be treated as we are individuals because again, we are individuals. Mm. But I also think that we have to watch um, how we allow the narrative to play uh, in our own minds. And a great example of this is, um, I think our two-party political system and the media have both worked together to create this, um, kind of like this storyline that if you're fighting for social justice and if you're a minority, you automatically don't care about the unborn life or you're automatically a liberal because you're fighting for the rights of other people. And that's not true because I believe that in scripture, I find it, and I'm sure you can find it if you read your Bible, uh, that God cares for both the oppressed and the unborn life all the same. Hmm. The problem is we've chosen to elevate one issue over the other instead of taking the responsibility as Christ followers to fight equally for both the oppressed, meaning minority people groups, and the unborn life. And so I think we have to be careful uh, to make sure that we watch out for those things don't kind of get trapped into the social media thing. It's mm. real nasty uh, and it's not fun and it just continues to perpetuate these stereotypes that we are all working so hard to break down the walls. And then the second thing that I would say is get rid of the cl colorblind rhetoric. And what I mean by that is we've all met that one person that's like, you know, Drew, I love everyone. I don't see color, you know, and I see you, I just see a person, I just love you. That's not possible. Like the very <laughs> fact that I can live in Rochester, New York, 12 months out of the year, and right now, we're in February. I've never stepped in a tennis salon <laughs> a day in my life. But, you know, I look pretty good, I think, you know? Like, that's, that's, that debatable. God, that's debatable. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, that's a God thing. Like, God is very intentional with his creation. And yeah. so he's, he is in, intentional with how he created each and every one of us. And so all of the things that make us different make us beautiful because yeah. it's the way that God uh, created us. And I think when we use colorblind rhetoric and we, and we use this whole, you know, I don't see color thing, what it does is it, it, it makes us blind to a few things. The first thing that it makes us blind to, it's God's image being on display. Again, we were created by God to reflect his image. And so if I was created to reflect God's image, that means my skin color is beautiful because it was created by God. Uh, and then secondly, it, it kind of makes you blind to the identity of other people, to other people's individuality. The third thing that it makes you blind to is the uniting power of the gospel. Again, like Dominique said, in Revelations, like we're all going to be there together at the, at the throne of Jesus. It's not going to be like, oh, we got this pocket of black people right here. They're going to worship. We got this pocket of white people. Our Asian brothers and sisters going to be right there. Our Hispanic and Latino brothers and sisters going to be right here. No, we're all going to be one multitude worshiping Jesus at his throne. And I just think that like it makes us blind to that and the last thing that it makes us blind to which is really important here on earth is it makes us blind to injustice because the reality of it is is that like if you don't see color then you're not really able to fight for the oppressed you're not able to fight for those who need fighting for mm. um which in turn as a christian just makes you missionally ineffective mm. and so those little short-term mission trips that you go on to get your cute pictures that can't happen here. You know, we have to have a willingness 
of spirit to fight for our brothers and sisters, regardless of what their color is. And just yeah. as you would want me to fight for you, I need you to fight for me because yeah. know that I'm fighting for you and I'm praying for you mm. every day. And so mm. those are the things that I, I would totally say. Hope I wasn't too hard on y'all. Yeah, Love awesome. y'all. Can we give it up for these guys? Come on. Thank you, guys. Ooh. Let me tell you, that, that, that's a really brave thing that they just did. That's not an easy conversation to navigate, and they did it so well, and I hope they challenged you. Uh, Alvin and Dom have really, man, challenged me and my family. They are good friends of ours, and I'm thankful for their influence on our church. And so, you know, we, we talk about seeking reconciliation, and so I want to give you four practical steps as we leave here today that maybe we can do tomorrow. Not, not, not just wait around, but things that we can say, oh, I can do this tomorrow. I can put handles on this. And I think we start by simply asking for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness. Yeah, I, I told you in week one, this is, you know, if we're going to heal some of these wounds and we're going to see some of these divides come together, it's going to take humility. That we're going to have to crash down our pride and we're going to knock down the pride that it blows us up and we're going to have to jump into humility. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about the city that we live in. You see, 24-7 Wall Street just released a study on the worst cities in America for black Americans. And do you know where Rochester landed? 14th on that list. We are the 14th worst city for black Americans to live in based off of income, unemployment, and the, the housing. And man, if that doesn't break your heart, and I, I just want to stop and just honestly seek forgiveness for that. I, I am sorry that I, I've been ignorant to it and I haven't fought enough for it. And I can promise you one thing, I will stand up and I will speak up and I will fight to change those realities. And I believe that's why God created the church to speak up when no one else will. This is what one author says. He says this forgiveness is the linchpin of reconciliation. It's the linchpin. And I think maybe we, we start by asking for forgiveness, not just to our friends and our community, but maybe we ask for forgiveness from God for the, the racial prejudice, prejudices and the tendencies that we have in our heart that, that displease God. Maybe this afternoon we just fall on our knees and say, God, will you forgive me of the ways I think and the ways I communicate that don't honor you and that don't help the divide come back together. And I believe when we, when we start with forgiveness, it leads us to a second step, which is to step towards compassion. To step towards compassion. Man, the truth is, is this conversation for a vast majority of us, it annoys us. It makes us angry. We don't want to talk about it. We want to deal with it anymore. It's all over the news. It's everywhere. And so we're just like, I just, I can't stand it anymore. And I believe that mentality leads us farther away from compassion. And I think maybe compassion is the missing link in, in these conversations. Look what the Bible says. Galatians chapter two, or Galatians chapter six, verse two, it says, carry each other's burdens. And in all this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I love that phrase, carry each other's burdens. Because it gives us some imagery, it gives us some illustrations of ultimately as Christ followers what we're called to do. And you know what we do as the church is when somebody's struggling and when somebody's in pain, here's our natural tendency is, hey, I'll pray for you. And we've almost used prayer as this crutch not to carry. Because to pray for somebody is kind of an easy thing. Hey, I don't have to step into your pain. I don't have to step into your world. I'll just pray for you from a distance if I actually do. 
But to carry somebody's burden, there's a transition that happens. Is when you see someone hurting, a brother and sister in Christ, to carry their burden means that you put it on your shoulders and you feel the weight of it and you feel the pain and the anguish that they walk through. And when you feel those things, I believe the reason why Paul said carry their burdens is because it gives you a perspective change. And when you feel that pain and you walk in their shoes, it leads you to fight on their behalf. It leads you to know and understand and say, I will not stop and I will speak up because I've felt and I've dealt with other people's dealings. Man, the fact in our culture, in the church culture today, that we can watch a brother and sister in Christ mourn and hurt and watch from a distance should bother us. Because the Bible says we should carry each other's burdens. And I think if we live in compassion It leads us to this third point where we stop being defensive and we listen to others. We listen to somebody else. Maybe today we have to just crash the walls of our, our defense. We have to crash the walls of our opinions and we just stop and and listen. I talked about this week one, listening to the spirit of God in your heart. Someone says this, he says, first seek to understand, then to be understood. And what if we just live that way? What if, we, what if we stopped all, all of our opinions and we just said, you know what, let me, let me just hear what you have to say. Let me listen to your perspective and let me understand where you come from and what you've been through. This is what James says, James chapter one. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He gives us the recipe of how to have difficult conversations. He says, hey, first, just listen. Slow to speak, slow to share your opinion, slow to post on social media, slow to email that person, and slow to become angry. You know what we've done with this verse is we've just distorted it. We've changed it. You know what this verse reads in our culture today is, hey, everyone should be quick to be angry, really fast in speaking, and if you have time, you you could consider listening. That's what we've done with James is, is we've, we've initially just getting, we get angry and then, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll tell you my, I'll tell you my opinion and then maybe I'll listen to you just to tell you how you are actually wrong. What if we, what if we stopped our defense and we just listened? And then lastly, what if we strategically built relationships with people different than you? What if we began to just seek after People who look different than us and have different opinions and just say, hey, I, I want to know you and I want to get to know you. You know what's amazing to me? We, we wonder why there's division there, but what I've realized in life by watching people, I love to watch people, is white people hang out with white people, black people hang out with black people, Asian people hang out with Asian people. And, and we wonder why we're divided is because in our relationships, there's absolutely barely any diversity. And no wonder we're ignorant to everything that's going on is because we only have our perspective. Look what David Platt said. I I love this. I think this is powerful. He says, the most segregated place in our world is our dining room. So let's lean in here this morning. Let me ask you this question. When is the last time you sat down at your table and you made a meal and you sat across from someone who looked completely different than you. Someone who, who, who just believed things differently than you, they had different opinions than you. 
I mean, honestly, ch- check yourself and say, when, honestly, when I could, have I ever done that? Or when is the last time you have done that? Will anything ever change if we just stay comfortable in, in our relationships with people who look like us and act like us? Like, honestly, we'll just live in a society that is divided and we'll complain about it a lot, but nothing will change. What if we took our outreach strategy we talk about Pi Squared. If you don't know what Pi Squared is, is it's pray, invest, invite, P-double-I. And what if we t- took that and we molded it to this conversation and we just said, you know what? When I go home today, here's what I'm gonna do. Maybe if you just take this, this might be beneficial. I'm gonna first fall on my knees and say, God, provide me opportunities to meet people who are different than me, that look differently than me and think differently than me. God, I just want you to give me a bunch of opportunities at work, in my neighborhood, at my school, in my dorm room. Just give me opportunities, God. I want to be open and I want to see them. And then what if we chose to, when God provided the opportunities, we would invest in them. We would ask questions. We would seek to understand and say, hey, I want to get to know you. I want to understand you. I want to know where you've been. And then it leads us to this invitation where you say, hey, I want you and your family to come eat dinner with my family. I believe if we just did that as a church, we all just left here and we said, God, give me the opportunities. I'll invest in them and I'll invite them over to my family to experience my life as well. I believe just in that alone, God would begin to mend some of the brokenness because he would shape our perspective. So the the truth is, is God made us differently. We can't get around that. Just look around this this room or in your auditorium or online watching. Just just look around our culture. We are different. Every single one of us is different. Backgrounds and ethnicities and colors. It's, It's beautiful, actually. It's awesome. It's God's creativity on display for all of us. But unfortunately, those differences have wedged a gap between us. And it was never the intention. And I told you this morning that I was afraid to to really talk about this topic, but there was a a small part of me that was also really excited. And I was excited because of the truth of the gospel. And here's what I know, when it comes to the fracture of racism, the only thing that will bring us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at the gospel of Jesus Christ, God gives us all access to a privilege that is something beyond what we could attain or achieve. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship, if we step into that relationship, church, that should begin to reconcile our relationships with others. And so what better way to to wind down a service this morning than remembering that and reveling in that by celebrating that we had a God who loved us, not based on what we looked like, who, who loved us enough to stretch his arms wide on a cross and say, I'm not dying for a select group of people. I'm not dying for a color or an ethnicity or a background. I am putting my life on the line for every single person who will believe in me and surrender to me. And as a church, we believe in that and we stand on that. And if we step into that, we can be a difference maker in our community. And so we're gonna be united together as a church with people from all different backgrounds and we're gonna rally around the gospel. We're gonna rally around the cross. And so we do that through communion where we remember Christ's blood that was shed for us and his body that was broken for us. And so our bands are gonna come sing a song and I just encourage you to listen to the words of this song and and really as you listen to these words, here's here's what I'd ask you to do, just ask God, what do I need to do? 
Do I need to ask for forgiveness? Do I need to live in, in more compassion? Do I need to understand my prayer? I don't know what it is for you today, but would you just ask God that question? God, Holy Spirit, show me what I can do to make a difference. So as our bands sing this song, listen to the words and ask that question.